This is a, a fun fact about Rabbi Stephen is that during the polar vortex of, I believe that was the winter of 2013, 2014, I was the second highest Divi user in the city of Chicago. Bravo. I, I, I did not know about that about you, Rabbi Stephen. I'm, I'm so honored to be on this podcast with you in that, <laughs> in that regard. I even received a virtual silver medal in my inbox. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the decarbonized forest of the future. In anticipation of Tu Bishvat, the Jewish New Year of the Trees, Rabbi Stephen spoke with Hans Detweiler, a member of the Mishkan sustainability team with an impressive environmental activism resume for a conversation about small things you can do to decarbonize your life. Check out the show notes for links to resources on decarbonization and climate change curated by the Mishkan Sustainability Team. Now, take it away, Rabbi. Hi, folks. Thanks for joining us. I am here today with Hans Detweiler, one of our amazing Mishkanites and a member of our sustainability team. Uh, Hans, I just wanted to begin by asking you to explain who you are. Who are you? Why are you joining us today? Who, who am I? Well, it's a, a delight to uh, to be here today, just as it is always a delight to be engaged uh, with Mishkan. Uh, and uh, uh, so I uh, started out in energy as a, a rabble rouser uh, with my local Sierra Club, uh, working on uh, local policy issues related to climate change uh, in like way back in the 1990s uh, and um, have spent a career in energy. I was director of the state energy office in Illinois you know, 20 years ago. Uh, and um, and I, in particular, I'm very interested and happy to be engaging with Mishkan uh, because uh, yeah, it's such a wonderful and educated community that it feels like there's really a great opportunity uh, for people to, the people who want to be making important and valuable decisions in their life with environmental decisions, but they also are so clearly uh, angsting over, you know, how do we separate all of the little smaller decisions uh, from the from the bigger decisions in our daily life. It can just be such a, a deluge of, of, of constant decisions. So I, I wanted to see if through the Mishkan uh, Sustainability Justice Team, we could help to uh, to encourage people to, uh, to to figure out what some of the bigger decisions are. So we'll, I think, circle back to some of the function of our sustainability team um, in a bit, uh, but. Great. Um, before, before we go further, I'd love for you to explain a bit about what the Sierra Club is and what it does. Oh, well, the Sierra Club is one of the nation's largest uh, environmental uh, advocacy organizations. And, you know, maybe its claim to fame or the separate niche that it carves out is that uh, it is truly small d democratic. Uh, the, the groups are quite autonomous in the issues that they choose. And uh, policy decisions roll up through a very democratic process all the way to the top, and members can, uh, you know, can make decisions based on sort of national referendums on on subjects. So it's a very very democratic organization, and it's a great way uh, to to get involved in environmental activism. 
why did I get involved? So I think I joined the Sierra Club in 1996. Uh, and uh, I got involved because it was uh, a, a democratic organization, small D democratic organization that uh, you could get uh, engaged with and participate in sort of policy making uh, discussions. And it was also there was a strong professional staff that at that point in my career I could I could learn from uh, and really you know find some of the basic building blocks of what are you know energy policy decisions that that matter more than others and and you know, there were some good guideposts that I could pick up through through the organization and I still think 25 years later that it's still true today. So as somebody who has been involved in national and international organizations working towards solutions for climate change, as somebody who has spent your life working in the field as well, why did you decide to also bring that work into your community, being part of Mishkan and not only joining, but becoming a leader of our sustainability team? For those who don't know, our sustainability team is one of several justice teams that we have that all focus on different issues of importance um, bringing our Jewish values into the field of social justice as part of our community. Well, what what I love about Mishkan is it's such a well-educated and curious community. People are really uh, committed to to trying to do the right thing, uh, and yet it's 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 funny uh, as well-educated as everybody is. Everybody, a lot of people that I talk to are still sort of angsting over the. The constant deluge of small decisions that they 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 need to make on environmental questions. You know what what sort of salad container uh, do you know do I need? Does it need to be compostable? Uh, you know, so how do they sort through all of these myriad decisions? And and I thought maybe uh, we could help to focus people on some of the decisions that uh, that, that mattered most. So understanding that climate change, and in particular combating climate change, is such a complex issue with so many different facets to it, where do you begin? How do you even begin to make that decision on where to focus? Yeah, yeah, great question. I mean, I think um, uh, personally how I kind of approach it, decisions uh, in my own life, is to look, just to think about uh, am I spending a lot of money with this decision or am I only spending a little bit of money, right? So if, uh, you know, I'm trying to decide where to have lunch and uh, there's a compostable container that costs $12, you know, or not, like that, that's not the kind of decision that moves the needle very significantly. However, uh, you know, what about major appliance purchases? Like if I'm buying a washer or a dryer or uh, like a car, um, I think we've learned a lot from COVID about supply chains over the last couple of years. And you know, one of the things that we've learned is that it takes a long time to move the needle in terms of what our types of goods our society is producing. And so I think that uh, when we as consumers, when we're purchasing things like stoves and furnaces and cars that are still utilizing fossil fuels, we're really committing not only the sort of economy to that for the lifetime of those appliances, but we're also kind of sending a signal to the manufacturers of those appliances that, hey, if, if you're gonna still, if you're if you're still selling a gas car now, it's probably gonna be easy for you to still sell a gas car in another 10 years. And 
it will discourage them from making that, um, you know, in a way that's not beneficial. So I, I do think that the a, a general high level guidance for folks is if you're spending a lot of money, pay a lot of attention to what the environmental attributes are. And uh, if you're spending less money, then I think you're free to, to, to relax a little bit more. Um, I, I think that one thing that's been really interesting for uh, for my own family is we bought an electric car a number of years ago. And, um, and when you're an early adopter with something like an electric car, then uh, there are sometimes inconveniences that come with it. Like there are a lot of ways where having an electric car is just better and easier because, you know, it's like... Uh, uh, for us, we have a place to charge it at our house, so it's like easier to never have to go to a gas station again, uh, and it's cheaper than gasoline, so that's that's all good. But certainly, when you're on the road, like there are road trips, uh, and there are times where it's been inconvenient. And one of the things that we've found is that uh, even when the whole family stops on vacation and we kind of like to get where we're going. That being forced to to stop and uh, be in a different community, uh, often the chargers these days are you know in the middle of a city and not out by the highway, and so we've 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 actually had a whole new set of experiences of of good time together, uh, you know, as we wait to charge the car, um, and uh, I, and I feel like uh, there's there's some sort of a lesson there in terms of. Uh, the wisdom of, of slowing down uh, as as we all live our lives. Uh, and sometimes things that uh, may be a little bit inconvenient uh, may also have, you know, other benefits as well. I, I love that even, you know, four, 5,000 years later, the, uh, the lesson of the spiritual technology of Shabbat still holds true that sometimes pausing and looking around us uh, can have really amazing benefits and value in our lives. I think a lot of times people will say, well, why do my decisions matter? Really, we know, quote unquote, that uh, for climate change to be solved, it's governments and corporations that need to change their policies and procedures. But you did mention the idea of being an early adopter, which feels like something that only an individual in some ways can truly do. And so I would love for you to just say more about the importance of individuals or groups of individuals being early adopters for these solutions to climate change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, first off, I, I totally agree with you that uh, in an ideal world, government policy is the single most important thing that needs to happen. And uh, you know, we've made some progress on that uh, nationally recently, though not nearly as much as uh, as as we would have liked. But um, but that is in a in a preferred world, that is a great way to go. Uh, that, that being said, yeah, we we are at a different time now where individual actions are available and do matter in a way that they didn't like, you know, 20 years ago because people didn't have options. Right. So, um, so, you know, I, I mentioned electric cars earlier, you know, that is, is, is one option, uh, but also, so for example, furnaces, um, one big change now, uh, people don't realize in Chicago, uh, people's gas is the most expensive piped gas in the nation. Uh, and it's as a result of the, the, uh, 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 the long-term cost overruns that people's gas has had. Uh, and so heat pumps, which are basically like the same technology as is in your refrigerator or an air conditioner, 
are a very efficient replacement and even a cost-effective replacement for gas furnaces in Chicago. And they bring all the benefits of electrification, which is you can use a renewable energy source to create the electricity and then eliminate all of the pollution that's associated with the product that way. So, you know, individuals uh, do have an opportunity to sort of decarbonize their own homes uh, in a way that, uh, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, that technology just just didn't exist. So it is an exciting time now. I think something that you are hitting on as well is the idea of modeling or living out our values is so central to what it means to be Jewish, since we are talking about this, particularly in a Jewish context. And um, I was thinking a bit about one of the ways in which we pursue uh, justice in the world is through the gift of tzedakah. And often tzedakah is translated as charity, but really the core of the root of the word tzedakah is tzedek. And tzedek, which means justice, is not only uh, something we do, but is also something we embody, something we model for other people. And in, I think, becoming an early adopter, one can serve as an example and maybe even educate folks on the different options that are available for them. So it's really not only an individual's action that is important in that moment, but also the way that can resonate or ripple out from them through the community. I really couldn't agree more. Uh, there are, uh, when you when you make the decision to sort of be an early adopter with some of these appliances or an electric car or something like that, uh, it, uh, it, it can bring an inconvenience, but it also uh, can 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 pave the way to benefit others over the long term. Um, so it's it's great to put that in a in a Jewish context. Yes. I'm wondering if you have any examples of people who have been early adopters of some sort of solution to climate change, or maybe another example that you have uh, where those early adopters played an important role in the development of that solution. I think it happens. Uh, like really very commonly in, uh, you know, as, as, as new uh, energy efficient appliances or uh, items appear, like at first they might be uh, really expensive or really hard to use. And then as more and more early adopters use them, uh, they come down in price and they get, you know, more widely used. So it's funny when the, when the very first like compact fluorescent light bulbs came out, uh, they were incredibly expensive. You know, it was insane, right? It was like a twenty-dollar light bulb, and uh, you, you don't you don't see that anymore because uh, because people decided it was important and sort of moved that moved that supply chain to support those over time. So we know how to do that. We just need to uh, to, to do more of it. It's interesting because the examples that you've used. I'm thinking of of more efficient light bulbs. I'm also thinking of things that we see every day in Chicago that um, we use regularly, you know, bike paths, public transportation, things that were much rarer at one point in history. And because of people choosing to use it, first maybe a few and then more and more, uh, those are things that we actually don't even recognize as rare or extraordinary um, when once upon a time they probably were. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think we're not too long from a world where uh, we might even start to see like, you know, pay uh, uh, shoveled bike paths in the city. It certainly is the case that, uh, you know, how many bikers were there in December? Cyclists were there in December in Chicago a couple of years ago? Like 
not really very many at all. But after COVID, like so many people have learned that, oh, actually, I get a little bit of the right gear. Uh, you know, it's it's a very doable thing to cycle around Chicago uh, in the winter. And uh, and that has been responded to with a huge burst of new, new bike paths that make it easier for everybody else to do that. So now we just need to, you know, get them, get the city to start plowing them and uh, <laughs> we'll be we'll be better off. I would love that. Uh, this is a, a fun fact about Rabbi Stephen is that during the polar vortex of, I believe that was the winter of 2013-2014, I was the second highest Divi user in the city of Chicago. But to your point, and the way things change, Divi being a relatively new system at the time, is I'm a regular Divi user now, and I am nowhere near the I would love that. Uh, this is a, a fun fact about Rabbi Stephen is that during the polar vortex of, I believe that was the winter of 2013-2014, I was the second highest Divi user in the city of Chicago. Yeah. I even received a virtual silver medal in my inbox. <laughs> Um, so speaking of transportation, folks who came to services over the summer probably saw at the welcome table, there were a bunch Bravo. of- I, I, I did not know about that about you, Rabbi Stephen. I'm, I'm so honored to be on this podcast with you in that, <laughs> in that regard. So I even received a virtual silver medal <laughs> in my inbox. <laughs> Um, so speaking of transportation, folks who came to services over the summer probably saw at the welcome table, there were a bunch of buckets and you could take a, a, a stone and you could put it in one of the buckets saying how you uh, got to services that day as part of a campaign called Mishka Moves. I was wondering if you could uh, say a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, that was uh, one of our first efforts. And our idea was simple, that uh, we wanted to ask people how they were uh, transporting themselves to get to, to Mishkan so that uh, we could start to build that awareness of the decision uh, so that people would start to think about, oh, okay, uh, I want to be holistic in my approach to, uh, to Mishkan services and how can I uh, improve sustainability in terms of my mode of transit there as well. Um, and we also uh, wanted to establish a baseline so that uh, we would know uh, how many people were taking which different types of uh, of transportation uh, uh, in 2022. And then we could circle back uh, as we continue to have these, these dialogues and this discussion over several years uh, and compare how we did. Uh, and see if you know more people have switched to more sustainable modes of transit since then. So, uh, so we were very happy to collect all those beans uh, in those jars and uh, appreciate the time everybody everybody took. I thought it was a really great way to also uh, familiarize people with the sustainability team and the work that you're doing. I'm really excited for all of the work that is coming up for the sustainability team and for everybody at Mishkan. You're reminding me that one of the very first commandments given in the Torah is for humankind to be stewards of the earth. That this planet is given to us as a gift, both to use its resources, but to also use its resources sustainably and ensure that there is still a planet there for future generations. And this is something that applies not only to the Jewish people, there are many, many rules in the Torah specifically for the Jewish people, but this is one of those commands that is given to all people. And so uh, regardless of, of who you are, uh, the opportunity to get involved with our sustainability team is open to everyone. 
And uh, people can find out more information on our social justice page on the Mishkan website, or you can always reach out to me at rabbistephen at mishkanchicago.org. So I just wanted to thank you, Hans, for joining us today. It was really great engaging in conversation with you and finding out more about you and also the work that our sustainability team is doing. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to be here with you, Rabbi. Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, thank you for listening.